and fish yesterday. No, no, just kidding. Jude. Verse 22 and 23, two, two verses. If you're wondering why we're in Jude this morning, we started in Jude at early March, and here we are mid-May, and we're almost finished. I think, Lord willing, next week we'll, we'll probably end up finished in Jude. So we're going to begin by reading verses 22 and 23. I'll read, you listen. And while you're turning there, or if you're there, if you have questions about Jesus, the Bible, or what you heard this morning, as always, when we're through together, I would count it an absolute privilege to try to answer those questions when our time together has ended. Okay, verse 22, Jude. Be merciful to those who doubt. Snatch others from the fire and save them. To others show mercy mixed with fear, hating even the clothing stained by corrupted flesh. Amen. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. This morning, let's bow together and let's pray. Day by day, with each passing moment, strength we find to meet our trials here. Trusting in our Father's wise bestowment, we have no cause for worry or for fear. He whose heart is kind beyond all measure gives to us each day what he deems best. Lovingly, it's part of pain and pleasure, mingling toil with peace and rest. Now, our gracious God, as we think about everything in our life that is good and pleasing to you, we can only say to you truthfully that you did them. Therefore, if we lay claim, we lay claim to nothing, and our only boast can be in you and in your mercy. And the dark and shadowy and evil parts of our existence that we are ashamed of, and oftentimes we try to keep hidden or remain hidden in our ignorance and in our vanity, all those ugly things which sent Jesus Christ to the cross. We thank you that like a father you tend and spare us and like a mother you gently bear us. And in your mercy as our Savior, you extend to us forgiveness, a forgiveness won for us by Christ's death and his mighty resurrection. So Father, we ask this morning for your power and your presence in order that beyond the voice of a mere man we might hear from you, the living God, so that we would all believe and we would all obey as your word is preached. Therefore, Father, I ask that you would make my words your words this morning. And we ask this for Jesus' sake. Amen. Well, the us against them line of thinking is a very, very dangerous and unhelpful way to live as a Christian. The us being those that are in Christ and, and the, the them being those who are not in Christ. Because if you think about these things, it kills off evangelism. It confuses the love of God to a dying world and it conflicts with the very teachings of Jesus Christ. And so this morning, we're going to learn from God through the pen of Jude that the us against, line of, us against them line of thinking has really no place at all in biblical, authentic Christianity. Popular Christianity, certainly. Cultural Christianity, absolutely. It's the only way, it's only the only real way that both can survive. If there is no enemy, then there is no industry. But in biblical, genuine, Christ-centered Christianity, the us-against line of thinking has really no place at all. And I suppose one of the dangers of an us-against-them line of thought is that it confuses the work of the church to fish for men and women and young people into fighting 
with men and women and young people or just plain ignoring them or altogether or simply yelling, if you would, at our TV or computer screens when the, quote, other side uh, rattles us. For when Jesus said, love your enemies, do good to them, and even lend to them, not expecting anything back, he wasn't trying to be nice. He was being right, and he was being winsome, and he was trying to win them to him. Because there was certainly a time when each of us here this morning, who are in Christ, was an enemy of Christ. Before what? Before in his great mercy, he saved us. You see, humans have this ability, this dark ability, if you would, to make an idol out of everything, including apologetics and evangelism, wherein the only reason why we might do both is not out of love and obedience to Christ, and not out of a broken heart that has thought through and therefore wept over um, the eternal destiny of those who reject Christ. No, the only reason why some people might be into apologetics and into evangelism is that they love winning arguments. And they love to be right, and therefore they love to be the the brightest one in the room. So in this, we look to Jesus Christ, who is our example in everything. He bled and died for sinners. He didn't fight and hate sinners. Jesus, in his earthly ministry, often had conversations uh, and meals with difficult people. Difficult people who were in great era and was uh, about what was and wasn't truth. So they said about Jesus, this man eats with sinners and he welcomes them. That's what the Pharisees said. But his meals were not just meals, they were meals with a message. He was honest with people and he taught people. And Jesus Christ was firm and he was blunt with the arrogant. You you foolish people. That's Luke's gospel. That's what Jesus said. He was careful and thoughtful with those that were confused. Dear woman, who's left to condemn you? Neither do I condemn you. Go now and leave your life of sin. See, Christ was always true and he was always clear. He never flinched and he never held back his love. He never held back his truth. He never flinched, if you would, on his father's will. And he was straight with the person in front of him. I mean, think about this. Jesus weeps over a city that was, was a few days away from absolutely slaughtering him. The greatest injustice in the world. And he's weeping over the city. Now the Christians in the church that Jude writes to, a church that has been secretly invaded by deceivers, uh, these people who say they are Christian but they're not, these Christians have been told by God through the pen of Jude, verse 3, if your Bible is open there, that they are to contend for the faith. That faith which was once and for all entrusted to the saints. Okay, so then we've been told by the the apostle, if you would, apostolic authority, we are to contend for the faith. And last week, and now this week, we are told the way that we are to contend for the faith. So none of us ought to think that, one, we do not have to contend for the faith. No, we do. And two, none of us should think that we can contend for the faith any way we like. You see, that was the deceiver's. That was verse 4. Grace means license. Grace means I can live how I like and I can think how I like and I can have really no meaningful reference to God or His moral law. I'm going to be lawless, self-willed, but I'll be religious. And the deceivers who also said, again, verse 4, Jesus is not my Lord and King and Sovereign. So that this whole idea of contending for the faith, well, I'm, I'm far too busier with, quote, more positive things. But an essential gospel truth As we've said before, we need to say it again, that Jesus died for sin, not just so that we can sin. 
Therefore, therefore, Jesus is God. And he's not just another guy. So the genuine Christian then is the good child who seeks to do what they're told. Please remember that. That's the genuine Christian. We, we seek to do what we're told through the scripture. So do we do it perfectly? Of course not. Do we do it willingly? Well, sometimes yes, but honestly, sometimes no. But in the end, do we pray for the grace to do it eventually? Absolutely. And so Jude, last week, he gave us four commands. We, we worked through a couple of them last week. This is how we are to contend for the gospel that we've been entrusted with. And so if your Bible's open, verses 17 and 19, Jude said, this is what we should remember if we're going to contend for the faith. Remember bad people with bad words who follow their own minds. Remember self-ruled people who, whose favorite line in religion, in the church is, hey, let me tell you what I think. Or this is how I'm led that runs counter to biblical truth. Those people are going to come to you, Jude says. They're going to attempt to divide you, but they don't have the spirit. Verse 19, do you see it there? So if they don't have the spirit, it means they are not Christian. They might have a Bible in their hand, but they have no Savior in their heart. And they fiddle around with things so that they think what they think is always what God thinks. And what they say is always what God says. And what they're saying is always what God is saying. And Jude says, no, no, they're just simply following their own feelings. That was his first command. His first command to remember these people are going to come. The second thing he told us we should do for our own good as we contend for the faith is that we are to do something to ourselves. And that was verses 20 and 21. Remember the four little words, build, pray, keep, and wait. You can see them there in verses 20 and 21. And if we had to take those verses and kind of shrink them down, Jude was saying this, Christian, be who you are. Keep building yourself up together in the basics of the faith. Remember the basics of the faith. And that's what keeps things going. That is the faith. We don't grow correctly disconnected from the church body or the body of Christ. And we, we should keep before us the divine essentials of the faith and not personal convictions. And pray always because pray in the spirit. Remember what is praying in the spirit? God, I want what you want. And maintain your place in God's love. Well, how do we do that? Well, we don't doubt his love when we look to the cross of Jesus Christ. We think gospel thoughts all the time. And then the other side of that coin, as Jesus said, if you can meet, keep my commands, you will remain in my love. Right? That's Jesus. Okay, you want to remain in my love? Well, remember how big the gospel is and keep yourself in my commands. And that's what he said. So as a, just a brief aside, aside, if we are always sad and blue and feel unloved by our God, perhaps, perhaps we've grown either ungrateful to gospel victories or we're acting like rebels with Jesus Christ's commands. Keep yourself in God's love. Now, this morning, we get to our third imperative, our third command from Jude. He tells us now what we should do for the good of others in verses 22 and 23. And you can see there, that's our big heading with all those little subpoints that uh, begin with the letter C. So if you're with me, we're told to contend for the faith. We, we have to do this. This is a command. We're also told that we don't have the liberty to contend for the faith any way we like. Jude gives us apostolic authority. Here's the, th the ways that we should do it. Remember the scoffers, build yourself up in the faith, pray, keep, and all those good words that we just went over. And now he tells us, Jude tells us what we're to do for others as we contend for the faith. And essentially what he does here is he gives three categories of people who are to be treated in various ways 
according to their condition and according to their character. Now, this is very, very important. So Jude does not want us to just, you know, vomit the gospel, excuse me, over the people uh, the same way. He doesn't want us to treat everyone the same way. Now, listen carefully. Treat them the same, but differently. Because they're different people. It's the same thing in parenting, right? Proverbs 22, 6. Train up your child in the way that they should go. Train up the child in the way that God made them, in keeping with their bent. So you treat this child the same way, but because your children are different, you take that principle and you apply it differently into their existence. It's the same thing. It's the exact same thing here. This is how we are to contend with these, for the gospel with these different people. Before we get to our first point, remember this, congregation. When the power and the passion of reclaiming the lost people of this world, when that dies out of a church, then in many ways it ceases to be Christ's church. You might have people getting together once a week, but you don't have much more than that. That's why Jude says, contend. Verse 22, be merciful to those who doubt. That's the first group. And we're going to call those people the confused, and here's why. Now, in this, Jude is telling us that there's a certain group of people who we will meet in the church or, if you would, on the street who are genuinely confused about what the faith is and what the faith is not. They they are wondering, or more literally, they're, they're at odds with themselves. That's the sense of the word that Jude uses that is translated doubt. It's a, it's a Greek word, diakrino. And what it means literally is, is that they cannot come to a final judgment about the gospel. In other words, they go back and forth about the gospel. They can't come to a final decision about what it is and is it if it is true. So think with me for a moment because this is the context. You have deceivers in the church. They're giving a false gospel by lip and by life. And, and these confused people are remaining confused. And if you are a natural man or woman, what gospel do you think you'd like to hear just by way of your fallen nature? Gospel number one, hey, listen, stick with Jesus. I mean, he's going to make you healthy, and he's going to make you wealthy, and he's going to make you wise. He lets you off the hook in everything because he has no rules, because you're the rule, and he always forgives. But since he forgives, I wonder why he's forgiving. Uh, Since there's no rules, I wonder why he forgives in the first place. But, you know, we'll just put that aside just for a minute. And you get to choose your own way in everything because, after all, it's you. Okay, that's one gospel. It's a very popular gospel if you think about it. Or your sins are forgiven through the death of Jesus Christ once and for all. You belong to God. You are his beloved child. So take up your cross, keep his commands, and follow him as you walk the path of self-denial for the glory of your God and for the good of people on this earth because you know all the good stuff is not here on earth. All the good stuff is waiting for us in heaven. You have one gospel that's saturated with self-will and self-leadings. And the other, a sensible line of thought in view of our depravity and in view of God's mercy that is offered because of our depravity. Isn't that Romans 12? In view of God's mercy, uh, in view of the gospel, cheapers, uh, creepers, offer yourself a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. So there are certain groups of people that are confused. They, they have trouble with, with the authentic gospel. And so Jude writes that the Christians are to be merciful to these, to these confused individuals. Essentially, he tells the Christians, you know, don't let them have it. Back off a whole lot. 
He's saying have mercy on them because you know God in Christ had mercy on you. Right? Because how did I and how did you, if you're a Christian, how did you become a Christian in the first place? This is Colossians. When you were dead in your sins, God made you alive. Meaning what? Well, meaning that if you trace the line back to your conversion, yes, you said yes, but it was God that enabled you to say yes. You mean, you mean grace? <laughs> yes, grace. So, so we sit with these confused people and we are patient with them and we talk things through again and again. And, and, and we think through their life to help them. Listen to what Martin Luther said. Let your life be so ordered that you may have compassion on these doubters. Let your life be so ordered that you have compassion on these doubters. So again, deal kindly with them. Our words are to be dripping with grief. Uh, this is not a competition. This is tears in our eyes. This is a, a, a belly ache. That's the actual meaning of the word for mercy. Your, your stomach hurts for them. So you contend for the faith with all the, your might, but you're merciful with these doubters. Someone said, help them doubt their doubts. So before we go on to our next point, I want you to think through that. Don't think that, okay, all of a sudden Jude is changing his tune here, right? He, he, he started off with a charge, contend for the gospel, contend, contend, contend. And, and then he, he's kind of backed off a bit and, and now he's trying to be super nice and he's saying, well, never mind, just be nice to everybody because it doesn't really matter. He's not saying that because the gospel does matter. We show no compromise, but we show mercy. We do not lower God's standards in the hope that if, if the terms are easier, then more people will repent. Because if you do that, you deny the seriousness of the gospel, you deny the seriousness of sin, the, the once and for all given gospel, and you demote the cross of Christ as something, well, we kind of need, but not as needed as one might think. And that takes us to our second heading. Verse 23a, snatch others from the fire and save them. And so these are people that are not confused these are people who are, are convinced that the deception that they follow is true. So again, they're not confused, but they're convinced, and, they, and they're actually playing with the fire, if you would. And they think that the verse 4's rebuke is, is wrong, and so fire in the Bible is most often always a sign of God's judgment. And what Jude is saying, that judgment is so close for them, Christian, save these people. Right? Save these people. And again, I think this is an urgency that we tend to lose. I mean, we have family, we have friends, we have co-workers, and we see them again and again. They've been with us all our lives. They're still smiling. Most are well. They believe in God, but nothing more. But we know that the end is coming. And we know that the judgment of God is real. And we know that salvation is found in no one else. That there is no other name under heaven uh, given to humanity by which they can be saved. We know all that. You know, but it's Saturday. <laughs> and I've worked all week. And, and we're grilling outside. And it's brisket. And I love brisket. Right? And I have my Dr. Pepper and my red cup and crushed ice. And there's chips. And there's pickles. And there's onions. Do I have to speak to them? to the reality of where my mom and dad and my family and my friends and co-workers, do I have to tell them that your view of God is completely wrong 
and that Jesus is coming back to judge the living and the dead, and if they don't repent and place their faith in Him for real, they are doomed. Do I have to tell them that? I mean, they're, they're going to get all worked up. They're going to get mad. And it's Saturday, and there's brisket on the grill, and I'm in my sandals. Jude, God, Jesus, do I have to? So I send you to leave your life's ambition, to die dear desire, self-will resign, to labor long and love where man revile you. So I send you to lose your life and mine. So I send you to hearts made hard by hatred, to eyes made blind because they will not see, to spend though it be blood, to spend and spare not. So I send you to taste of Calvary. Margaret Clarkson wrote those words based on John 20 and 21. As the Father has sent me, so I send you. Verse 23, snatch others from the fire, from the judgment. Save them. If, if there is no evangel, if there is no messenger, then how can they know? That's Paul's argument in Romans 10. And we know that only God can save people ultimately. We absolutely know that. But for some reason, God has assigned his people to be his voice in his world. A quote from Leith Samuel, Christ is going after his lost sheep and, and he wants to use our lips that they may hear his voice today and he wants to use our hands that they may feel his touch. He is the soul winner. People are won by us for him. They are won through us by him. He can win them without us. But he has chosen to work through us and he has chosen to work with us. Okay, so we're to contend for the faith. This once and for all faith entrusted to the saints. We are to be merciful to those who are confused. They can't decide. We are to be patient. We absolutely pray that we bring them the clarity that they need in a merciful way. And then we come to those who have decided. They're convinced, but they have a delusional gospel. It's a false gospel. They are dead wrong. So there is a bluntness that we must approach them with. Not rudeness, but bluntness. Because they failed to make the difficult choices that Christians have to make in the world. And they're reluctant in these things. And Jude says, snatch them from the fire of judgment. The, the gravity of their wrong decisions and all the implications that they, they will feel must be felt. And so there must be an evangel to tell them. To tell them. The gravity of their delay to decide has to be known. Uh, this is not in the notes, but it's free. I'll never forget one Nicole and I were sharing the gospel with a lady in McDonald's. And we shared the full gospel with all its implications. And towards the end, she said to me, as a non-Christian, she said, you're scaring the dickens out of me. And I said, I know. I said, because it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a living God. So we do a disservice to people if we do not tell them the whole truth and nothing but the truth. Proverbs 29, 25, fear of man will, will prove to be a, a trap, snare. 
Just think with me before we move on to our final point. If there was a fire in your home and you were asleep, would you like someone to tap on your door and say fire? Or would you like someone to bang on your door and say fire? Moffat, endeavor to frighten them out of their sins. Group number one, the confused. Group number two, the convinced. Group number three, the committed. And so this is the final group, and this is actually the most dangerous group. Because as he ends this list, these are the, clearly the ones that are absolutely committed to the false teaching. Uh, they are swimming in it. They are more than likely leaders in it, and they are mean with it. They've twisted the grace of God into a license, and Jesus is not their king, but they're still religious. That is so dangerous. So dangerous. And so Jude's response here is very striking. I mean, look at it. Verse 23b, to to others show mercy mixed with fear, hating even the clothing stained by corrupted flesh. So, so even as wrong as these wicked people are, and and as, as even as they twist the gospel to fit their taste and to fit their morality, Jude still says, lead with mercy. So you have a, a, a ache in your belly for these people. Mercy mixed with fear. And so you say, but Jude, you don't know. No, no, mercy mixed with fear, but they're destroying everything. No, mercy mixed with fear. And mercy is prominent because, because all too often we leave it out with these kinds of people. We're more eager to denounce them than to restore them. We're more eager to win the argument than to win the person. And again, I think that's why Jude and and God, if you would, uh, leads with mercy and he mingles it with fear. So so mercy is not reduced to niceness. You're not not cozying up with them and these people. Uh, Mercy mixed with fear because there's a real danger in what they teach and how they live. And that danger can spread. And that's why Jude uses in the last line of verse 23, hating even the clothing stained by corrupted flesh. Well, what does that mean? Well, actually, it's, it's pretty graphic. It's a metaphor. It's a picture. And so what Jude is telling us here uh, is in a very nice way, he's saying, and I'm just going to say it as you can translate it, don't even get near their dirty underwear. The word for clothing is the word for undergarment. And the word for stain is the word for soiled garments or vomit. It's repulsive, isn't it? Okay, how did they get that way? Well, through corrupted flesh, which means our sinful nature, which means, which means sin. And so who in their right mind would, would get near dirty underwear? I haven't determined whether I'm going to tell this story in the second service, but I'm going to tell you in the first service because my mother-in-law isn't here. She will be here in the second service. So a long time ago and far, far away, I lived with my, my wife's grandparents for three months. I watched over their house while they were in California. So they came back and they liked me so much. They said, why don't you stay a while? And so I said, okay. I like Nicole. I like them. I said, I'll stay a while. So, you know, you have your clothes clean. And so a few days go by and you need more clean clothes. So I would give her my shirts and I'd give her my pants. And I'd give her my socks. But I would not give her my undies. After about a week or two, she came up to me and said, Now listen, if you're here, you're going to have to be here. I need your undies. <laughs> I said, Yes, ma'am. Okay. I'll give you my undies. But you get the point. 
right? That's what Judas trying to say. This, this immorality is so bad. Greed and lust and pride and vanity and, and excess and, and foolishness and malice and rebellion and hatred and all those things. Whatever it is, you've got to hate that stuff. And you can't get close to it. And you can't pretend like it's okay with God when you talk to people about that. And so there's a tension here. And if you're going to be honest, I, I think you feel it. We have a default, most of us. Some of us go right to mercy. We're all smiles, we're all cuddles, but we have really nothing helpful to say. In fact, by being that way, we're kind of saying it's all good, but it's not all good. Other of us, all we know is fear. So we stay away from these deceivers, if you would, because we don't want to get near them, either out of fear or maybe we feel we're better than them or whatever it is, both guarantees that we will not be the one to bring God's mercy to these false teachers' lives. And there's got to be an evangel. There's got to be someone. And notice that Jude is not talking to preachers here when he says this. He's talking to the people that would be the congregation. And he's saying, this is how you guys contend for the faith. This is how we all do it, yes, but, but now, congregation, this is how you bring the mercy of God to people. Okay, so contend for the faith, check. We can't do it any way we like, check. How do we do it, Jude? Okay, so with the people that are confused, we're big with mercy, and we're big with clarity. To people that are convinced, and they're walking that line, and that line is so dangerous, we, we bring, if you would, big, brave hearts that is dripping with love for them, and we get them thinking about the judgment. And to those that are committed, and they're just thrown into this false delusion, we bring mercy. And yes, we hate their sin, but we love the sinner, and we resolve to speak the truth to them in the most merciful way that we can. It, it makes so much sense, right? The, the, the meanest group, if you would, gets almost the best treatment. It's God. It's God's way. And so I suppose we need to end our talk, and boy, we're done early, which is nice for a change, isn't it? So we need to end our talk, and we need to examine ourselves. And you, this is one of those, you look in the mirror, no one can tell you what, you, just you and the mirror and God. And so if you need to, and the mirror is telling on you, then you need to do something, you need to say something, you need to be receiving, you need to be honest, you need to be sober, you need to be nice, you need to be brave, merciful, wise, be aware. We need to contend for the only message that saves people. Three quotes. One from me that I wrote this morning. One from C.T. Studd. And the other from Fanny Crosby. We'll start with the lesser first, mine. <laughs> if we sever our roots from contending for the gospel, as Jude described, we abandon the stability and the ability which enables for good decision-making in light of the judgment to come, right? If we sever our roots from contending for the gospel, as Jude describes, we abandon the stability and the ability which enables good decision-making in light of the judgment to come. That's me. Now, this is C.T. Studd, missionary to China, India, and uh, Africa. Some want to live within the sound of church or chapel bell. I want to run a rescue shop within a yard of hell. And then Fanny Crosby, first line of her hymn, rescue the perishing, care for the dying, snatch them in pity 
from sin and the grave. Weep over the erring ones. Lift up the fallen ones. Tell them of Jesus, the mighty. Tell them of Jesus, the mighty, to save. Thank you for your attention. Let's bow together and pray. Our gracious God, we thank you for your help this morning and we thank you for the great uh, clarity which Jude writes to. Whatever God was good and helpful and useful, will you please keep it to the forefront of our minds, the, the lazy, hazy days of summer which we certainly enjoy, but they can do us in in other ways. And so we pray that we would be sensitive, extra sensitive in the coming months to these things that we were told to contend and we would pray for the grace to contend. And then we would ask, Father, for Jesus' sake, that you would send through our lines of living, whether in or out of the church, people that we can graciously contend for the faith with. Now may the love of God and the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be to all who believe both now and forevermore. Amen.